This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Dan Peraro, creator of the innovative, acclaimed, and much-beloved comic strip Bizarro. Peraro has drawn and written Bizarro for more than 35 years, a lengthy, creative, winning streak marked by the strip's singular blend of surrealistic imagery, social commentary, wordplay, and animals. Lots of animals. Some of those animal-oriented panels, and Bizarro is always a single-panel comic, reflect Peraro's affection for, kinship with, and concern for fauna of all kinds. Not coincidentally, we've been fortunate enough to speak with Perot twice before on Talking Animals, and he's experienced some notable changes personally and professionally since our last conversation in 2015. This includes semi-retiring from Bizarro, a hand-picked colleague creates most of the week's cartoons, while Perot remains responsible for each Sunday's comic. In 2016, Perot moved to Mexico. In 2020, he unveiled the initial installments of his graphic novel, Peyote Cowboy. We'll get caught up on some of these things and maybe others when I speak with Dan Perot in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Also, a programming note. Two weeks from today on February 16th, we'll be raising money here on Talking Animals for WMNF as part of the station's week-long winter fund drive. One constant is that I'm always assigned a sizable fundraising goal, typically a very tall task for an hour-long show, so it's enormously helpful to receive pledges before the fund drive two weeks from today. So if you're a fan of the show, if you appreciate what we do here each Wednesday, please consider making an early pledge. How about today? Please visit TalkingAnimals.net for details about fast, easy ways to pledge and information about our Talking Animals exclusive thank you gifts, including a pair of amazing tickets to see the Eagles later this month at Amelie Arena, part of their Hotel California 2022 tour. Other gifts include matching sets of face masks and dog bandanas, as well as wine bottle corks shaped like either cats or dogs. Again, head to TalkingAnimals.net for info on gifts and ways you can support WMNF, Talking Animals, and me. Did I mention you could do that today? Later in today's program, I'll speak with Helene Greenberg of Florida Voices for Animals about the organization gearing up for its annual Animal Hero of the Year Awards and how they're taking nominations for people in the Tampa Bay area who have done something extraordinary to help an animal or just animals overall in 2021. More on this a bit later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk with Dan Peraro, get caught up on Bizarro, hear about his graphic novel, Life in Mexico, and more with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at WMS. We're texting 813-433-0885. This is Dan Peraro back on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Duncan. It's good to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. And uh, we're doing this, uh, just for the record, via Zoom, which is always exciting. So uh, anyways, <laughs> as I alluded to in the introduction, it feels like there have been a number of changes in your world, personally and professionally, since we last spoke in 2015. So let's get caught up. A bit more than five years ago, you moved to Mexico. Why? Ah, why not? <laughs> okay. Well, that takes um, care of that question. Let's move right on. Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, my, my, uh, my, my then uh, life partner, now wife, same thing, mm-hmm. um, we were up for an adventure and we were also becoming, um, we were becoming disillusioned with, with the political culture of the United States, um, not the direction of politics as much as the direction of the people. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, just in the way that politics um, 
uh, has infused itself in, into everyday culture. I mean, the mask war, the whole COVID mask war all by itself is a perfect example of... Um, so I kind of, you know, I kind of saw the coming civil war um, years ago, and um, she and I both sort of saw that coming and thought, you know, this is not... It just seemed like a toxic place to be um, for, for a number of reasons, to be honest. Um, we both uh, were born and raised in the U.S., she in California and I in mostly Oklahoma and Texas. Um, and there are things about the United States that we, that we really love. Um, but, but after having left it, uh, after we've, we've been here a little over five years, and, and quite honestly, um, we like it. When we, when we visit the U.S., it sort of strikes us more all the time. The growing toxicity of the country kind of strikes us more all the time. And I'll tell you what really did it for us was not when, when Trump was elected, but when Trump was nominated by the Republican Party officially. And we just thought, OK, that's our sign. If one of the two major uh, one of the two major political parties would is going to allow a man like that. And it's not like nobody knew who Donald Trump was. I used to live in I lived in New York for 10 years, so I had a really good idea of who Donald Trump was. Yeah. So um, I just thought that if they're going to let someone like that get that close to the White House. And, and we also thought. He'll never win, of course. It's absurd to think that he would win. So, but still, just the fact that they would let him get that close to the White House was enough to 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 make us go. And so, and and then he did win, and we thought, well, we were right. Let's let's get out of here. So, quite honestly, that was a big part of it. Yeah. So, Dan, was it always as you were having these thoughts and, and being increasingly concerned? Uh, was it always Mexico, or were there other countries that you considered at one point when you said, "Well, we gotta." We, we clearly got to get out of here. Where to? Or was it always like, we got to get out of here and we're going to Mexico? Um, no, we, we actually didn't know where we wanted to go. We, we thought about Europe. Um, we thought about South America, different places. Yeah. Uh, we, we settled on Mexico because it's close to the U.S. and we still have a great number of friends and family in the United States. And so we wanted to be somewhere uh, close and convenient to visit uh, for them to come see us and for us to go see them. So, and that has worked out well. It's, it's not too hard to get there from here. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and I'm, and I'm not, you know, when, when I tell people I've moved to Mexico, I think they all almost always imagine that I've moved, moved to some beach community or some, something like that. But we live in almost the geographical center of the country in a small town, a small, uh, it's a pretty well-known town called San Miguel de Allende. Oh yeah. And, um, yeah. It's a, it's a very historical Spanish colonial town in the middle of the country, high elevation, doesn't get too hot. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we like it a lot. That's great. And, uh, had you spent much time either in Mexico generally or in San Miguel de Allende prior to picking up a movie? I had not. <laughs> wow. Uh, this gets bolder by the moment. The more we hear, this is great. I'll tell you, um, we, we are kind of, you know, I used to be, let me just say this real quickly. I used to be a science-based atheist, and I would um, sort of um, analyze the hell out of everything. But I, in recent years, I've become a science-based mystic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and my my wife is as well. And while we do pay very close attention to science and history and, you know, every, you know, three-dimensional material reality around us, we also strongly believe that there are voices in your head that you should listen to. I'm, you know, I won't go any further than that and delineate what that exactly means because we don't even know. But but honestly, the just the the sense we had, we got so many green lights about moving to Mexico. We visited a handful of times went to a few places. This was the place that really spoke to us. Mm -hmm. We got, and, 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 um, and, and we were right. I think that, uh, it turned out to be a, a terrific move. 
it, for us. Uh, we've got a lot of friends here. It's an, a really interesting art culture. Um, the country itself is fascinating. It's beautiful. We've traveled all over the country by car and by bus and by airplane. Um, and it's just a, we, we just find it to be a really fascinating place. She's also an artist and we both uh, find Mexico to be extremely inspiring uh, creatively. That's funny. I was just about to ask a question almost exactly worded that way. Like if you had found a new or different inspiration artistically in your uh, newly adopted uh, country, and it sounds like you have. Yeah, there's a, there, I'll tell you, um, you know, uh, different countries are good at different things. And um, I, I don't love everything about every aspect of culture in Mexico by any means, but the art here is phenomenal. There are so many terrific, historically a lot of great artists, and also just a whole lot of terrific living artists and young artists, printmakers, um, all kinds of, uh, just all kinds of art. Uh, and the, you know, this, we go to Mexico City, we're about three and a half hours from Mexico City. And Mexico City is really one of the jewels of the planet. Um, of course, it's enormous and has a tremendous amount of poverty, as as does uh, any any of the larger cities in the world. Yeah. But the historic center of the city, which is which is also quite large, the historic center of the city, like New York, is it's safe. It's um, it's beautiful. It has it has tremendous history and a phenomenal amount of art and museums. It's it's really I, I, I think I think that people who really study museums and culture would always put Mexico City in like the top five in the world of cities with uh, culture and art. And, 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 and high-quality museums. It's just a terrific place. So we go there like every month or two. Wow. Uh, in fact, we're going there next week for a big uh, week-long art expo. Oh, that's great. So on the, the previous visits that you made before you up and, uh, and moved there, did you have this kind of sense about how strong the art element was? Or was this, again, moving was, sounds like maybe kind of listening to those voices in your head and saying, Let, let's do something kind of impulsive and see where it leads us and, it, and you hit the jackpot. Um, a little bit of both. Um, I, was, I was aware of a fair amount of, of Mexican art history. I'm a big fan of Diego Rivera and, um, and, and, and virtually all of the uh, muralists, the politically based muralists from the early 20th century in Mexico were terrific. Um, and, I'm, and I've always been a fan of Frida Kahlo. Um, yeah. And her art. And so I, I knew that there was that here. But also upon, uh, you know, once I started living here and traveling around, uh, I was just, I, I was actually kind of shocked and surprised how much great art there is here and that it is still being produced. Yeah. So how has that affected, if you can point to something specific or some things, how does that affected how you work and create? I mean, does that tend to be much the same regardless of where you're living or is what you just kind of enthused about and so therefore kind of your habitat, as it were, kind of help shape a little bit about how you do create? Well, um, you know, my, my, my cartoons, my Bizarro cartoons, which is what most people have seen of my work, um, yeah. it's a certain kind of inspiration. But, but, you know, mostly there I'm looking for jokes that will be that will be. Uh, usable commercially. You know, they have to be a certain this, a certain that. People have to understand them. They have to make sense. You know, I can't just do any crazy thing and throw it in the newspaper and expect to keep my job. So that's kind of a commercial style of, of enterprise, even though it's creative. It's a, it's a commercial kind of creativity. Yeah. But on the side, I also do fine art. And, um, and then, and, and I, and now I'm also doing this, this really massive uh, graphic novel which I did not plan to do, but it began to come to me 
it's a really interesting story, which we'll get to in a minute if you'd like, but yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, so any, anywhere that an artist is, I think, um, you know, it's, their surroundings will, will inspire them one way or another for, yeah. for better or for worse. And in my case, um, I, you know, my, my, my inspiration for fine art and, and also as it turned out, my graphic novel have always been, that process has always been very mystical. There is like a window in the top of my mind that I just kind of open up. And I've learned to do this since I was a kid. I just sort of open this window and let things flow through. And so the that kind of art doesn't come from my mind. Honestly, I don't think it comes from my mind. It comes from somewhere else yeah. and flows through me. And sometimes it's much like a, a, a authors often will say that a story begins to write itself and, and you can barely type fast enough. And that's what happened with Peyote Cowboy. And that's what has happened with my with my other styles of art as well. Um, things are things are just coming to me. This this. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows if it's my location or if it's just the universe has got some stuff to say and I'm willing to to uh, be the uh, whatever you call that, the. Um, What's the word? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That the, the person who brings it <laughs> who brings it into existence. Right. I don't know if we want to go with muse or anything like quite like that. But uh, yeah, that's a, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a muse. The, you yeah. know, I, I yeah. I mean, when it comes to those kind of things, I, I and I'm not the only person to feel this way. There are a lot of artists who feel this way. That there are ideas floating around, and if you're willing to bring it, if you're willing to be the conduit and bring it into existence, it's yours. If yeah. you turn it around long enough, it'll find somebody else to express it, and um, and that's and I, I found that out in a big way with with this graphic novel, Peyote Cowboy. Shall I tell that story? Sure, absolutely. One thing I just want to pose this uh, possibility. I'm just wondering if if you always kind of opening the top of your head from being very young and letting whatever kind of art, artistic ideas and impulses come out, is that maybe starting to, you know, catch up with the shift from a science-based atheist to science-based mystic? Well, you, you know, it's, that, that's a good question because that, that, that was a question I had as well. Um, suddenly out of nowhere, the story for Peyote Cowboy started coming to me while I was doing something else. I wasn't even opening the window. I wasn't even trying. Okay. And this stuff started come to, coming to me so quickly and I'm writing it down. And I'm thinking, what is this? What, is, what am I even doing? I feel I seem to be writing a story. I wasn't trying to write a story. I was trying to get my Bizarro deadlines done. But as it, as it played out and I looked back at it, I began to realize, wait a minute, I've been doing this all my life in different ways, but, but sort of attributing it to myself. But in truth, my best work and even some of my really best cartoons have just come to me and I, and I produced them. Hmm. Um, and so I, I would, but, but I always thought, well, that's just because I'm creative. That's the thing I do. Yeah. But now I'm beginning to, 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 to honestly believe that it's more than that, that it's that I'm willing to allow that stuff to come to me and put it down. And so, yeah, it's kind of the way since I was a child, it's the way, in fact, I think it's the way all child, all children produce art An inspiration comes to them and they just, they just ooze it out onto paper. They just vomit it out. And they create these things. I'm a huge fan of children's art because it has a spontaneity that adults can no longer reach for the most part. Yeah, they, um, they get out of their own way, basically. Yeah, Picasso actually sort of famously learned to be a classical artist by the time, and he's such a genius, uh, such just sort of a genetic genius, I think, that by the time he was 18 or so, he was, he was just painting like a classical artist. And he felt, in fact, that he had missed 
his childhood years of, of inspiration. And so that was kind of his inspiration for experimenting so much within the world of art away from classicalism to try to uh, achieve and, and get in touch again with that, that sort of childlike source of inspiration. So I, I'm not the only person to have this kind of a feeling or these, these impressions about, about where these things come from. In fact, I think the ancient Romans actually, the, 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 when they talked about the muse, they actually believed that art came from, that, that these kinds of creative efforts came from somewhere else and that they just flowed through us. And, and I, I think they were right. Quite honestly, I think they were right. I, I, honestly, you can do it either way. Yeah. You can just sit down and, and pull stuff out of your brain and draw it or write it or create music or whatever. Or you can channel. And I and, and so I'm just I'm just a big fan of channeling because it's so damn much fun. Well, and also not all of us necessarily have the option to channel, but again, like you said earlier in, the, in our conversation, I'm creative, I'm artistic, that's what I do. So if you recognize that there's an opportunity to channel then again, you want to like get out of the way and let the channeling happen, which not all of us could experience. No. But, but, but if you do, that's where great, amazing work usually comes. Yeah, but may I say, um, I don't think everyone is an artist or is a musician or is a, a novelist, but I do think everyone is creative. Mm. And I think that being creative, and, and, and just think about the definition of that term, to create is to take is to bring something in, into existence that didn't previously exist. And we're the only animals that can do that at the level that we do. It is what it is. I think this is what it is to be human. This is what distinguishes us from other animals. And, you know, science is highly creative. Math can be highly creative. It's not, it's really not just about the arts. Yeah. Um, cooking can be extremely creative. Uh, all kinds of domestic chores can be very creative. So honestly, I, I always tell people, find some way to make something. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be something commercial. It doesn't have to be worthy of an award or, or putting on a shelf with a price tag on it. Just create anything. Make something with your hands and you will experience some real spiritual benefits on top of which it will just make you happy. It's better than any antidepressant, I think. <laughs> well, that's great. All right, well, I'm going to uh, introduce you to just because people may just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Dan Peraro, creator of the acclaimed comic strip Bizarro. He has uh, experienced some notable changes personally and professionally since our last conversation on Talking Animals in 2015, including moving to Mexico, semi-retiring from drawing Bizarro, which we'll get into in a bit, and writing... Uh, this graphic novel, which we're easing into at the moment. If you'd like to ask Dan a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. In fact, we're going to take one of the callers that's come in, and I should note that you actually got an email before the show went on the air, so that's uh, that's unusual. But uh, let's uh, let's talk to one of our callers here. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dan Peraro. Hello. Hello. Hello, you're on... Talking animals with Dan Perot. Did you have a question yes, or comment for Dan? Animals. I was doing a high pitched noise. I hope that didn't hurt animals. That's actually a high pitched noise. I would hope not to hurt animals. Um, I would like to ask you, um, when people are being high pitched and, and their vocal tone, it does that hurt pregnancy, especially animals? <laughs> okay, is that a question for Dan Perot or are you just uh that, no, that's for Dan. That's okay. For Dan. All right, Dan, you're welcome to feel that in any way you like and then we'll uh We'll move yeah. along. I haven't the foggiest idea. I, I think you'd probably be better off asking a veterinarian. I, I don't know. 
All right. Thank, th- thank you for your call. Okay, so back to other things here. I think we obviously got to circle back at some point to Bizarro and the shift in there. But since you've mentioned, and, and I'm super interested, I want to make sure we have enough time to cover uh, Peyote Cowboy. So you talked about you had no real intention of, at the time at least, doing a graphic novel. And then there you were. So tell us more about how that actually began and how you said, hey, this inspiration I'm getting this is maybe the beginnings of a graphic novel. Just talk about the very, very beginning and, and how it kind of led you in the way we've already been talking about how creativity does work or at least work for you. Yeah, well, I was just, uh, I was working on some bizarro cartoons one day, just drawing for my deadlines and uh, a scene from a story popped into my head. This guy is racing through the desert. He's got a little boy and he's on a horse. It's a cowboy story and he's and he's uh, being chased by somebody and he's got this child with him and he, we don't know who. And like, I didn't know who was chasing him. Um, and so he hides in a cave. And anyway, one thing leads to another and I'm just writing it down. I think, wow, this is fun and interesting. What in the world is this? So I'm, t- you know, I'm just sort of writing it down. And then I go back to my work. A few days later, another scene comes to me. I'm like, oh, okay. And before I know it, I've got got quite a few pages of this story. And I think, what is this thing? It's, um, it must be a story. And so at some point I decided just to put, let's just put everything down and start typing this out and see what happens. And so as I did that, the story kept coming day after day after day. And I spent quite a few months, you know, uh, kind of balancing writing with my, with my regular Bizarro deadlines, of course. But each day the story would get a little deeper and more complex and often it would go, and I would just let it go in any direction that it wanted to go. And I did that. And then those directions would sort of loop back and reconnect with earlier parts of the story. And I was amazed. I Each evening, uh, I would tell my wife, I, I can't believe what happened in this story I'm writing today. Um, in this case, blah, blah, blah happened. And this character did this. And it turns out this character was that. And anyway, that's how the story came to me. Um, and it went on for months, and it's quite a long story. And then I thought, this would this would actually make a really good graphic novel. Um, so, but- so you kept having these kind of inspirations and just sort of followed the lead of whatever those inspirations were, but didn't necessarily know what it would become or what you might want to help it become until right. t- this day, s- sometime deep into this, where you said, hey, this actually could be and maybe should be a graphic novel. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't, it's not like I had some, I didn't know where it was going to end. I didn't know what the point of it was. I didn't go into it thinking, I'm going to write a story about whatever, you know, and uh, 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 about, like, I I didn't have some theme, like, I'm going to write a story about social injustice, or I'm going to write a story about racism, I mean, whatever. It was nothing like that. It was just a story, and I just let it go where it wanted to go. And in the end, it had all of these kind of really interesting themes to it, but they weren't things that I was putting there intentionally. They were things that just unfolded, let's say. Um, and then I began drawing it. And again, I was just looking for inspiration. And I, and, and I, try, I tried very hard to, to just create a simpler drawing style than I normally use. I, 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 like I'm good with my hands and, I can, um, and I, can, I can emulate all kinds of different drawing styles. I have more than one style that I can use. And so I thought, well, I'll just I'll use something simpler because otherwise I won't live long enough to draw this whole story out. <laughs> it it's very complicated, you know. Yeah. But as I kept going through it, the drawings just kept getting more and more complicated. And I thought, well, this just must be what it wants. And so anybody who now looks at this book or, or this uh, graphic novel will, will, will look, will just, will be kind of amazed at, I think, 
will be impressed by how detailed the artwork ended up being. Um, and it is, in, in fact, different from Bizarro. I guess you'd probably see, maybe some people would see some similarity, but other people maybe would think it was two completely different artists. Um, so I began, and, and I didn't, I thought, you know, this could take me years to illustrate, and I don't want to wait to share it with people until it's totally finished. So I began posting it online as I'm illustrating it. Just sequentially in a series, I post a new episode every week, every three weeks, every once a month, however long it takes me to draw an episode. Yeah. And then I post it online and it's free for anybody to read. Eventually I'm going to publish it in a book. The books will not be free, but the story itself is free for anyone to read. It was given to me for free. So I don't, I don't feel right about charging people to read it if they want to see it online. So it's at peyotecowboy.net, not.com. I couldn't get that one. That's actually, I don't know, somebody else got that. But peyotecowboy.net is where you could go and see how much of the, of the story. I've probably illustrated like 20% of the story. But still, it's quite long. This is a really yeah. good story. Well, that makes me wonder, Dan, I mean, back to some of the other parts of the conversation that we've already had. It sounded like you recognized early on, once you recognized, hey, this could be, and again, should be probably a graphic novel, but you also recognized, I'm very early in this. Like, this has actually kind of got a, a quite an arc to it, quite a scope to it. And so I'm going to be working on this for some time. So I think that realization must be interesting, even just by itself, just like say, well, I, I have two more stories and a, just a bit more to illustrate and then I might be done. You're saying, no, 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 this this baby's got a lot more story to tell. Yeah. And, and I have actually finished writing it. I, did, I, bef I, I didn't start illustrating it until the story was done because I didn't want, you know what happened to Lost? You remember the, the TV show Lost? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the first episode was astounding. I thought. And then the first season was great. And the second one was a little confusing. The third one was so confusing. And the fourth one was like, by the end of it, it was like, these people have no idea where they were going. They never <laughs> knew where they were going. Yeah. And, and, and they were making it up as they went along. And then I read that that's true. That's exactly what they were doing. They were making it up as they go along. And I thought, well, I don't want to get into that bind. I don't want to, you know, write myself or draw myself into a corner where I've got this very long story that ends very unsatisfactorily and I never had any idea where it was going. So I thought I better at least finish the story and make sure that it's worth illustrating before I start illustrating it. So story is done. The illustrations are only about 20% in. Okay. And I really get the sense here, even as you talk about it, but also when I see stuff on the page, that you're just uh, exhilarated by working on Peyote Cowboy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you, and this is my mystical part, um, I, I don't believe I, I I don't believe in a god, so to speak. That 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 mythology would you know some person in the sky that's like a king or a president or whatever. You know, aren't aren't you the guy that used to be the science based atheist? Reminds, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I'm still that. Like, yeah. I still don't. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I don't believe that kind of. But I do believe that there that the universe is intelligent. Plants know how to be plants. Animals know how to be animals. The universe knows what it's doing, and if you just kind of let it do what it does. I think things work out better. Why did I get into this sentence? This, this happens to me with increasing frequency. Well, I think because I was noting how exhilarated you seem by, by the work. Oh, and, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. That's why I wanted to say is that, so if the universe knows what it's doing, if the universe is a creative force, which I think it is, let's just, I'm just going to call that God, okay? This creative force in the universe. Okay. So when we create, we humans, when we create, that is as close to being God. In fact, I think that each of us is a tiny piece of that creative force in the universe. And so when this is why it's so exhilarating and exciting to, to make something. You are playing God when you do that. Not in a bad way. <laughs> you know, you're not damning other people to hell or controlling their lives or but you're 
but you're, you're bringing things into existence and it is a, and it's a really exciting feeling. And that's I, why, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I, 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 I've had this excitement when I write a really great cartoon, I can't wait to draw it. Other cartoons, not so much, but a really good one, I can't wait to draw it when, you know, and, and when, and so, and, and with a painting, like sometimes I'll get an inspiration for a painting and I'm, and I'm, and I'm just thrilled to be able to get it on, down on paper or canvas or whatever. And that's the way this story was. It was just so exciting to, to write and to feel that, to feel that creative energy flowing through me every day was, it's like a psychedelic drug almost. Um, it, yeah. it, it was, it's just an incredible feeling. So yeah, that's what you hear in my voice. Yeah, I'm that's still- that sense of exhilaration, right? It's like, it's sort of drug-like in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so even though it sounds like you have a similar feeling to like some of your better or favorite uh, cartoons, I mean, it's got to be a very different kind of discipline and undertaking, I would think, than, than even the best days on Bizarro. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, after I f- spent all those months writing, I spent the majority of my days writing for many months. And when, the, when that process was over and I came to the end of the story, I grieved. I was sad because mm. I so enjoyed that, that creative flow. And drawing it is more of a technical uh, process than it is a creative process. But, and so, you know, and I've been drawing all my life and I love to draw and paint, but still it was, it was a different kind of, so anyway, as I got into uh, drawing it, I, I then began to realize, wait a minute, this is like being a movie director. Like I can direct every single scene. Mm-hmm. I can change the angles. I can, you know, and, and so that's what I started doing. I started really playing with the imagery. I don't just draw it all from eye level the way I probably, the way most bizarre cartoons are drawn. It's just like, I'm looking here now at these two people sitting at a table talking to each other and they say a funny joke. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a much more, and I'm going crazy to talk about psychedelic. I'm going crazy with the colors, um, the light and dark yeah. shadow, the, uh, yeah. Every, and, and, and designing the characters. So I'm, I'm getting the same kind of creative, thrill out of illustrating it now as I was when I was drawing it. Um, yeah. And I still, like, I can't wait to find out how some of the later scenes in this story are going to look because I don't know yet. I oh, wow. So you know what's going to happen, but you don't know yeah. how they'll actually be manifested visually. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't really know how a scene is going to look until I sit down to draw it. And and that all by itself is a, is a great reveal. It's like, oh, this is cool. This is going to be, oh, wow, that's, I love the way that turned out. Like, you know, there's, there's little moments of of excitement in, in every single drawing. I'm, it sounds like you're surprising yourself along the way multiple times. Yeah, that's the great thing about creativity. When you, when you, when you learn to just channel it, it's so surprising the things that you can come up with. Yeah. Again, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Dan Peraro, creator of the comic strip Bizarro. Peraro now lives in Mexico, semi-retired from drawing the comic strip, which we're going to delve into in a moment, and is spending much of his time, as we're hearing now, working on his graphic novel, Peyote Cowboy. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So um, I'm going to... uh, yeah, switch to uh, we got it. We got to sort of deal with um, Bizarro, obviously. But uh, here, here's <laughs> I just thought I should read the email that came in like you know five or ten minutes even before we went on the air because it's I guess from a cl- former class classmate of yours it says uh, it says go Hornets. So it says Dan, do, do you ever produce artwork in other genres or styles anymore? Which I believe we've kind of addressed. Other than pie, UFOs, and rabbits, what themes run through your work? Thanks. 
And then it says, Earth without art would be eh. And that's from uh, Catherine Burton, I guess. <laughs> cool. Okay. All right. So, so, yeah. So, Bizarro. So, I think the last time we spoke, um, it wasn't long after you had announced plans to retire from Bizarro. And it ignited a huge uproar. And I think some or more than a little misunderstanding. But at this point, you have semi-retired from drawing Bizarro, which would seem to represent a pretty uh, sizable milestone. So tell me how you approach making that kind of change, which again, seems seismic for a guy who's done that for that many years and to that at that level. And, yeah. and, and what prompted it where you just said, hey, I can't do a daily cartoon every effing day anymore because there's other stuff I want to do and some of it I don't even know what I want to do, but I want to be open to do it. Yeah, I mean, that was exactly it. Um, uh, I, I really enjoyed. I mean, what what a blessing it was to have to have, to be able to to make a living that way. And and early in my early in my career, it was not a living. It was a it was I was uh, I was working nights and weekends on Bizarro while I did a lot of commercial art during the day to yeah. support my family. So it was a it was actually a hard road. I didn't I was I, I never got rich, um, which which I which I used to feel some resentment about. And now again, I see it as a blessing. Um, money corrupts. Um, money can corrupt. It doesn't corrupt everyone, but money can corrupt you. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a horrible way. I just mean that it can make you value it too much. I, I, quite honestly, I think the United States is a, has, has developed a culture where materialism um, matters more than anything else. Uh, if people aren't rich, they feel cheated. Mm. Um, and when you live, and you know, honestly, I had that feeling before I left, and, and now that I live in a place where most people are not rich, I really get it. People here value their families more than they value, a lot more than they value money. Um, they're happy to be poor as long as they can visit with their families. It's like they don't, it's, nah, I don't know, that's, you know, that's, that's speaking for other people and I shouldn't be doing it, but that's the impression that I get of this culture is um, that, um, that, they, that they really sort of have, because, because the American lifestyle isn't available to the average Mexican, they don't lust after it. Yeah. It's, that's not on the table. What is on the table is is taking care of my family, mm. and they have these huge families. They live multi generationally in the same location or in the same you know in the same house or the same sort of a series of houses in a compound, and and it's really it's really quite impressive. So anyway, I'm doing all these cartoons constantly, and um, I, I've often told somebody like try to write a joke right now. Just try to come up with a joke that you've not heard before. You can't use something that you heard at the barbershop. You can't like anybody yeah. goes to a barbershop anymore. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you, can't uh, you can't use something that you saw on the internet. You can't use some stupid meme that came through on Twitter. You have to come up with something totally original and new. And now do that every day. For the next 35 years. Yeah. And you do it through your divorces. You do it through your, uh, through catching the flu and being sick for two weeks. You do it through the death of your dog, your favorite dog. You do it through the death of a, of a family member, a loved one, a friend. I mean, you know, that's when it was really tough to be a cartoonist was when I was grieving yeah. or sick. Um, and those things happened, you know, with the same frequency that they happen to other people every now and then that stuff just falls into your lap and then you just have to deal with it. And to try to write a joke on a day like that mm. is really excruciating. Anyway, that wasn't the reason I quit. <laughs> After 35 years of it, it was really just, I, I don't feel like I have a lot of quality jokes left in me. And, and maybe I do, but they get harder and harder to mine. And I was just tired of it. I yeah. wanted to do other things. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, I had this very close friend, 
Wayno, who, who, uh, a cartoonist who writes by the name Wayno. Um, he's, he had been a friend of mine for years. He had collaborated with me. Um, I, I had hired him for a number of years to do some of my coloring. Mm. Um, and, and he was just, I just knew him to be a really good guy and also um, a compadre in the sense that he and I had the same type of sense of humor, uh, that's, that's a very similar sense of art. Um, most cartoonists, you know, a lot of cartoonists that you see in the newspaper hire other people to do their work, but they don't, but that person never signs it. They just keep signing it. Like, like for instance, Gary Trudeau, this is not a, this is not a secret. Gary Trudeau hasn't drawn Doonesbury. He still writes it, but he hasn't drawn Doonesbury like since shortly after college, like 35 years ago. Um, and a lot of artists are like that. A lot of cartoonists are like that. And many of them, like Garfield, for instance, Jim Davis hasn't touched Garfield in, in decades. He makes decisions about the business of it, but he doesn't draw it and write it. He's got a, literally a building full of people who do that kind of stuff. So in my case, my kind of cartoon is more of a personal perspective. It's not a character that you can teach someone else to draw and then with simple kind of gags that other people could write. You know, it's just not that kind of a feature. So I needed somebody with a very similar viewpoint and a very similar sensibility. Yeah. And that, and, and when Wayno does that perfectly, he, he doesn't draw exactly like me, but people who are not particularly um, aesthetically sophisticated don't know the difference. They think maybe that, I mean, there are still a lot of my readers who just think I'm still doing them because they don't pay attention to the signature. Um, but I let, you know, Wayno signs, Wayno signs his own work. We collaborate on all the images uh, he sends me this stuff and I, but you know, honestly, he, he's doing it on his own. I don't, I just look at the jokes. I say, would it be a little bit better if this guy said this? And I'll go, oh yeah, that's great. Thanks. Or the vast majority of the time it's like, oh, this is terrific. Fabulous. Go for it. Hmm. You know, so we, yeah. we collaborate, but it's not like, I'm not like hovering over him by any means. It's, it's, it's really his, his work at this point. That, um, yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's a real blessing for both of us. We, he loves it. I love it. It's the perfect arrangement. No, it, that that really sounds like it, it's it's almost unlikely that 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 could you could find a guy that would click to that degree. But you obviously had some experience when he was doing coloring and some other stuff. But because one of the questions I had, and, and you've already addressed it now, is how how does a guy recognized for a really singular sensibility go about replacing himself? And it sounds like well, you you kind of luck into a guy like Wayno, and it just sounds like it's really a great. Uh, partnership or collaboration. I mean, and obviously you give him, it sounds like pretty much uh, carte blanche to mostly do what he, what he does on the weekday cartoons and you're still doing the Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does pretty much have carte blanche on it. You know, the funny thing is, and I would, this is maybe an inspiring story for other people, but I was at, um, I was doing some kind of a public event in Pittsburgh, which is where he lives. Back when I lived in New York, I, I, I went to Pittsburgh and I did this some kind of a public event that was, uh, I was on, I used to be a stand-up comic, so I was sort of doing some stage work and cartoon, but as, as Bizarro, as the cartoonist uh, who does Bizarro. And he just came, and so he, you know, he was at this event and he came up to me, uh, you know, during one of the breaks and introduced himself and said, I'm a big fan. I'm also a cartoonist. And, you know, if you ever want to like take a vacation and, and uh, toss your cartoons over to somebody else for a few days or a week, I'd be happy if you'd consider me. And he gave me a, a, a sample, some samples of his work. And I loved his work. And I thought, well, that's a cool idea. And so I did it. I like, you know, within a few months, I, I got back in touch with him and I said, Hey, you know, how would you like to do a week's worth of Bizarro cartoons under your own name? And I'll, you know, and sometimes cartoonists do this. They'll put a little banner across the top saying, Dan Pararo has taken the week off. Mm. Uh, there's a, you know, uh, 
please enjoy guest cartoonist Wayno. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, he, he, he did that and I was really impressed with his work. And so that just began a long time friendship. He's also just, just a, a singularly terrific guy, much like me. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we get along really well. And uh, we just became friends and, uh, you know, and, and he was just the obvious person to turn it over to. Also, he had been a freelance cartoonist his whole life and done a lot of other jobs, but he had done some very good work, but was never able to get syndicated. Um, and so the chance to do a syndicated feature where he could actually okay. write and draw cartoons every day yeah. and publish them internationally was a huge opportunity for him. It had kind of been a lifetime goal of his. Sure. So, so it made sense he, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. He was able to retire from his other jobs that he didn't like and become a cartoonist. And I was yeah. able to retire from cartooning and become something else. So it was right. perfect. Everybody wins. Yeah. So we're sort of in the last moment or so of our time, Dan, but, but just one more thing about that and, and just the relentless uh, need to fill the, the mob basically that I think you were experiencing with, with Bizarro is that the last time we did an interview, you talked about that. And as a measure of that, you're saying, you know, I'm drawing right now as, as we're talking and there's no way I can't not do that just because that's the only way I get enough done in a given day. And that, <laughs> that really stuck, stuck, uh, stuck with me. So yeah, I'm glad that Wayno can give you a little, a uh, little reprieve from that. And, and again, that it's worked out so great. And, uh, so uh, I think we have just about reached the, uh, the end. I was going to, at one point, if we had more time, talk about a, an animal uh, cartoon, which seems fitting for a talking animal show, but I think we've covered so many other cool things that we've sort of uh, hit the uh, hit the end of our line here. But I do want to read one. We've gotten a bunch of nice emails, and I'm going to read one more as we as we sort of say goodbye here today. It says, listening in from snowy small town Canada, I so appreciate how articulate you both are and the exuberant expression of how creativity is or feels. Also, that cosmic, quote-unquote, godlike connection. I have to keep listening. This has more depth resonance than I'd anticipated. Thank you so much, Valerie. So that's, a, oh, that's, that's awesome. quite that's a nice Valerie. note and a great way, I think, to, uh, to wrap up our conversation today. So we've been speaking, of course, with Dan Peraro. And websites that you want to know about, if you don't already, are bizarro.com, where there's this blog and all kinds of other stuff, cartoons and talk discussions about cartoons. Peyotecowboy.net. Remember, .net uh, for a graphic novel. Uh, installments and more and um, of course he's on social media as well at all the usual places usually by Bizarro and and or Dan Peraro so Dan thank you so much for making the time to join us again on Talking Animals I really enjoyed our conversation I did too Duncan let's do it again sounds great how about tomorrow all right, all right. <laughs> okay thanks <laughs> In a moment, I'll speak with Helene Greenberg of Florida Voices for Animals about FEA's Animal Hero of the Year. After you hear Helene describe what sort of folks and what sort of good deeds for animals they're looking for, maybe you'll feel compelled to nominate someone for the award. More on that in a moment. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with something from Brian Simpson, one of those rising comedians who currently has a half-hour special on Netflix. Here's a piece I'm calling Lost Pets from Brian Simpson at today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNA. I don't, uh, I don't help people when their pets go missing. <laughs> no. Like when I see one of those signs and it's like, lost dog, I'm like, all right, that's one side of the story. <laughs> yeah. You're using the word lost, but what if I ask the dog, maybe he escaped? <laughs> you know? Those people want you to think 
their dog's biggest problem is it can't find them. <laughs> but I saw this documentary, it turns out the average canine can recognize a familiar scent for up to 13 miles <laughs> for up to 48 hours. <laughs> so maybe your dog know exactly where you are. You just can't handle the fact that he chose the streets. That was Brian Simpson in today's Comedy Corner with a piece I'm calling Lost Pets Taken from His Appearance on Lights Out with David Spade. Now it's time to speak with Helene Greenberg of Florida Voices for Animals about FEA's Animal Hero of the Year Award and how you could go about nominating someone for the honor. This is Helene Greenberg back on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Helene. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. And uh, when we spoke in November about a few things, we included an overview of Florida Voices for Animals and its mission. So today, I think we can jump right into today's topic, the organization's Animal Hero of the Year Award. Tell me about it and a bit of its like history and, and the objectives. Yeah, it's a really cool thing that Florida Voices for Animals does because it's a program recognizing extraordinary people helping animals out of the kindness of their hearts, and we want to not acknowledge them, and we need the public's help in finding them. Because we just didn't want it to just be the board picking them, because this is a 30-year-old program, which is incredible. It started in over 30 years, and then in 2013, we began an Animal Hero Award to recognize someone in the community who has gone over and beyond the call of duty or outside their comfort zone or even risked their life to help rescue an animal in need or distress, which is which is um, amazing. And then there's a there's a Have a Heart Dinner award fundraiser, which is now an outdoor in a park this year on May 14th at Phillips Park because of COVID. So instead of it being an indoor dinner, it's now like a park where you can pay to come and join this picnic, so it's safer, safe and, and socially past, distanced. It sounds like both socially distanced yeah. exactly, and it's inherently safer to be outside than inside. And we've recognized like twelve and thirteen, twelve-year-olds and ten-year-olds for helping homeless animals in the community. We helped a doctor who had to keep jumping to help a dog that was stuck in an elevator because outside the elevator and the elevator went up, so the dog was choking. Oh, and he had to keep jumping in order to, like, save the dog and get the collar loose. I mean, just amazing. Like, if, like, like um, let me see, firefighters administering oxygen to puppies, a cat that got oxygen from a fire in a house. Wow. I mean, just, it just, I mean, people are amazing, and we don't always hear about them, but, you know, your neighbors and your friends might be like, wow, I can't believe you did that. So we would love if you know someone that you want to recognize that you send an email to feaonline at yahoo.com with your nominee's name, contact info, and a description of what they did to deserve the title of FEA's 2021 Animal Hero of the Year by February 16th. So those uh, those suggestions should be sent to feaonline at yahoo.com by two weeks from today, it sounds like, if I follow you. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And any, any uh, criteria in particular, obviously, people doing amazing heroic things, of course, is the key criteria. But anything else, just in terms of geography or anything else that we should know as we're thinking about who we want to nominate? Exactly. We needed to be in the broader Tampa Bay region. So someone in that region has done something extraordinary that you'd love to nominate to be the FEA 2021 Animal Hero of the Year. Cool. And... Uh, and then it sounds like those those people, whoever is ultimately selected, those people are recognized at the outdoor event on May 14th. 
Exactly. So we'll have the we'll have the annual. It's typically annual, but you know, COVID. So we'll have that picnic, and they will get recognized, and we'll get an award for doing that. And I think possibly there might even be a donation in their name to it's either a, to them or a donation to a charity that they would like money to go towards. That sounds cool. And Helene, is there a place online where someone uh, hearing just our conversation, which has touched on some of the people and some of the heroic acts, but where people could find out more about either past winners or the kinds of things that have been um, recognized previously and uh, maybe provide further inspiration for people that they'd like to uh, indeed nominate themselves? Well, if it's not on the website, we'll make sure that it gets there because that's a really good thing to have. Yeah. So FloridaVoicesForAnimals.org is the website. Okay. If there isn't a link to it, then... Sounds like there will be shortly. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, this sounds really great. I, I, you know, uh, not surprising a show like this is big on recognizing people of, of all kinds and all ages and all stripes uh, who've done good work uh, for animals or on behalf of animal welfare. So this sounds tremendous. So, again, you've got two weeks from today to get your nominations in for somebody you think should be the 2021 Florida Voices for Animals Animal Hero of the Year. So uh, people are, I'm sure, already mulling some very good candidates, if I, if I, if I had to guess. So, Helene, thank you so much for joining us again. On talking animals, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Duncan. Thank you. And hopefully, like in the future, after we pick some of these heroes, you can do a follow up on this as well. Absolutely. No, I look forward to, uh, to having a nice chat with a, a, a new hero for sure. All right, that'd be awesome. Okay, Thank thanks, Helene. Take care. You oh, too. Bye. Bye. Coming up on WMNF, the music kicks back in in just a few moments with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed typically by Robin Hooper, who I believe is uh, not going to be here today. There'll be a sub that I'm not quite sure about just yet. But uh, either way, there's lots more music coming up, and of course, uh, we roll into our block of Latin programming later in the day, and the music just keeps coming here on WMNF and WMNF.org. So... Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, well, let's actually uh, just remind you that two weeks from today, we will be raising money here on Talking Animals as part of the WMNF Winter Fund Drive. Please go to TalkingAnimals.net for details on fast, super easy ways to pledge. We'd love to have some some pledges come in early. That's the only way we really have a chance of uh, making our uh, usually towering goal. And there's also information on our exclusive thank you gifts. Again, some uh, pair of uh, pretty amazing tickets to the, uh, I think... Not sold out, but I think all the good tickets have long been sold out for this uh, Eagles show coming up at Emily Arena later this month. And there's uh, also cool things, including a matching, I really like this one, a matching face mask and bandana so you and your dog can be matching when you go out for a walk and, and keep everybody safe and looking stylish. So all that stuff and more is found at TalkingAnimals.net along with archives of all our past shows, links to our social media pages, etc. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Again, this is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. My thanks again to uh, Dan Peraro for uh, making time to speak with us from, uh, from Mexico. And I enjoyed speaking with him. And I can also want to thank Lynn Greenberg for filling us in on the Florida Voices for Animals. Animal Hero of the Year. Get your nominations together. Don't miss that deadline. you got two weeks from today. 
sounds like it's going to be great and I think probably the more people nominated the more people get recognized and feel enthusiastic so that's great too all right so we'll see you next Wednesday here at 11 a.m. on Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa Scott Elliott's up next after NPR News headlines we'll see you next Wednesday thanks <laughs>